the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Company and other factors. Not- the following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Jesus Christ is powerful. But do you know its power? Has your life been changed and transformed? And do you walk now in service to Jesus, building up the kingdom of God? Is that your primary focus? Do you know the power of God? I read in the book of Acts, the first chapter, beginning with verse 4, And while being assembled together, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from this. But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit having come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the very end of the earth. That word witness is literally martyr. You will lay your life on the line to tell people the good news about the gospel of Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus is the kingdom of heaven has come. Now having said these things, while they were watching, he was taken up, and a cloud took him up from their sight. And as they were looking intently into heaven during his going up, behold, two men had been present by them in white clothing, who also said, Men, Galileans, why have you stood gazing into heaven? This Jesus, the one having been taken up from you into heaven, will so come in the manner in which you've seen him going into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from a mountain, the one being called Olives, which is near Jerusalem. When they entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. This is the story of Acts. These are real events. These are events that took place in time and space and history. And the forward march of the gospel receives the power in chapter 2. And while the day of Pentecost being fulfilled, they were all with one accord at the same place. And suddenly there came out from heaven a noise as the rushing of a mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues parting off as fire and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues of a different kind as the Spirit was giving to them to speak out. These are actual events. This is what took place. Today the gospel in America is not making very much progress because the power of the Holy Spirit is absent. And we've been unwilling to wait upon him for that power. We've gone on and done our own programs, build our own castles, started our own churches, thought we could do the work of the gospel with our own human strength. But mainly, the Christian message in America today is one of intellectual understanding, emotional sentimentality. You're loved. Now go live the world. Sinning Christians. We've been spending a lot of time here on Pilgrim's Progress, talking about and sharing with you a book 
by Jackie Pullinger, Chasing the Dragon. Why are we spending all of this precious airtime? I know some of you are probably impatient and saying, Come on, Pastor, just teach us from the Word. Well, teaching you theology from the Word has not worked. There has to be some different way to begin getting at this on Pilgrim's Progress. And by the way, I'm Ray Greenley. With me in studio is my wife, Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you all for joining us today. This now, is Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Now, please understand, we're sharing this book with you for a very specific reason. It is a day-by-day carefully written narrative of the actual workings of the Holy Spirit for the salvation of the lowest of the lost. It is the actual story of modern day evangelism and building of the kingdom of God. And part of what we want you to catch is that the Holy Spirit wants to come and work in your life. He wants to bind up your wounds. He wants to set you free. Not free to live a worldly life. Free instead to serve Jesus Christ in the work of the kingdom of God. This book, it's a wonderful example of the true apostolic Christian faith as it's happening right now. And so what it is, is it's a challenge and an encouragement to us to come up to God's standard of what he expects Christians to be. And it's an encouragement because we see, wow, this is really happening. It's not just something written in the Bible, but it's actually happening right now. And if God's doing it here, he can do it with me. And there's many other things that are encouraging in this book. This woman... She had no idea really what she was doing. She was just obeying the Holy Spirit. It took a, a period of years, six years, before she saw the first drug addict actually delivered from opium. And yesterday we shared the second person she saw delivered from drugs, this time heroin, at a camping retreat. And even then, it was still at least another year before she came up to faith and said, I believe that God can by his Holy Spirit bring every single addict through withdrawal painlessly if they will pray. And so it took probably about 10 years of her being on the ground in Hong Kong, ministering, pouring out her life, loving the unlovable whom nobody else even really cared about. But now for the past 40 years since then, she's been able to help thousands of these addicts come to Jesus. So my prayer is that this story will encourage you to first believe that this is the real Christianity and that it can be your Christian experience. And then secondly, to really make that the focus of prayer and of your reading of the scripture to have this become your normal life. The normal life of loving 
and serving others and calling them to leave their sin in loving and kind ways to come and walk together with you in righteousness, in holiness. But there is no righteousness or holiness that's real outside of love. They go hand in hand. Love and righteousness must kiss. They must walk together. And so we come sharing this story because somehow we believe that you'll catch more with a story than you will from theological teachings from the scripture. We're so far away from the historic reality of the gospel, and we've so made it into just information and intellectual understanding and, and little institutional things that we're supposed to do to be righteous. Pay my tithe, attend church, read my Bible every morning. Well, all of those have their place, but please, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about loving someone and sacrificing myself for them, denying myself and caring for them and picking them up. And frankly, I, I've been praying this morning quite a lot about our listening audience. I wonder if you're still listening or if you have disappeared because you're saying all they're doing is reading a story. Jesus just told stories and the people listened and they were changed. And we're telling you this story because we want you to go start your story. We want, we want you to go and begin to love those people that interact with your life in such a, an honest, caring, sacrificial way that they will say, Wow. It's like the man who said to me, I, I asked him, are you talking to anyone about Jesus at your work? He said, oh, no, I don't believe in talking to people about Jesus. I said, well, what do you believe in? He said, well, I believe that people will see the way I live and they'll come and ask me questions. I said, no, wait a minute. You've worked in the government now for 40 years. You're about to retire. In those 40 years, has one person come to you and asked you what you believe because of how you live? Well, no, they haven't. Oh, so you're living the same way your workmates are living. You don't look any different to them than everybody else. That's not the gospel of Jesus. That's a cheap cop-out. He totally changed. The next thing I find, he's on the street passing out tracks. Well, okay, I've done that too. But I know that's not where it's at either. I went out and did street preaching. It's okay. But you know what? That's not where it's at either. It's about that one person in front of me loving them, caring about them, providing for them making a difference. We're speaking now about people who are really in need. We're not talking about people who already have everything they need and you're just being nice to them. But we're talking about people who are facing eviction, 
people who are having a loved one dying and they need someone to be at the hospice overnight with the dying person. People who've had surgery and can't cook for themselves. Addressing real needs and helping and loving people through that. Jesus said, when you make a feast, don't invite your friends because they'll just invite you back. He said, invite the poor, the lame, the crippled, those who can't pay you back, and you'll have a reward when the righteous are resurrected. And so we're reading this book to you and talking about it because we are praying for revival in Washington. And we know that revival will not come simply by increasing your biblical knowledge. You're going to have to see in reality the lack of love, the lack of caring for others. You're going to have to see the selfishness of your own heart. You're going to have to see and understand that you have no power of Jesus operating in your life, that you're just living an American life with a hobby of going to church. The gospel calls for something dramatically different than that. It calls for love, for pouring out ourselves for others. So we come to this radio broadcast laying everything on the line, our finances, our hearts, our energies, knowing Jesus called us to speak to you. So we want to speak with love and respect and kindness. But we also want to see a change. We want to see revival in your heart. Where you make that decision that I will be crucified with Jesus Christ. I will lay my life down for others. I will serve Jesus Christ and him alone. Some of you could make such a difference in your workplace. You could make such a dramatic difference where you work. The people you fellowship with at work, the people you know. But you've got to come out of the closet. You've got to be up front. You're a Christian. And they've got to see your actions as Christian actions going way beyond any expectation. They're going to have to see you live like Jesus lived. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, Alexandra, let's go to the book. And you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We're Ray and Alexandra from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm glad you've joined us today. We're going to share more of the story. We're reading from Chasing the Dragon by Jackie Pullinger. Yesterday we shared the story of a young gangster named Ah Ming, who was saved from heroin and from sin, was born again while on a camping retreat. And was baptized in the Holy and Spirit. And was baptized in the Holy Spirit and went home and was about to get in a gang fight had weapons to defend himself, and then he said, I've been praying for peace. I can't fight these guys. 
drops to his knees and starts praying as he's surrounded by the rival gang holding machetes. And they say, what are you doing? And he says, well, I've become a Christian now. Would you like to hear about it? And as a result of his witness, several of those in the rival gang begin to attend meetings and eventually become Christians. And Jackie writes that this is the way in which the youth club, which she had started in Hong Kong, began to grow. She says, the youth club grew bigger and bigger as those who became Christians brought their friends. I had not yet met the renowned Goko, but his large chop-eating brother came in frequently to sing. Some weeks after the camp, we were praying in the club room when one of the boys had a vision. Since all the boys who believed in Christ had received the power of the Spirit with the gift of tongues, they were not surprised when God caused wonders to happen. The vision was of us in procession, walking down the street, singing and dancing. Only twelve were willing to go. The rest made excuses. Miss Poon, we live here, they said. As I imagined myself prancing around my parents' village in England, I could sympathize. One of our favorite songs in the club was Silver and Gold Have I None, which went like this. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I took my accordion. We had one guitarist and a couple of tambourines. The rest of the twelve followed in single file. The street was too narrow for two people, but when we reached the leaping and dancing and praising refrain, we all managed to jump around a bit. Now, I love in this story that they ha the boy receives his vision and they immediately act on it. They don't stop and say, well, what does this mean? Let's plan when we're going to do this. They just say, this was a vision from God. Let's go do it. Well, so what happens? She says, it's the only time I can remember during that era when so many vice businesses stopped without there being a police raid. At the pornographic film theater and the gambling dens, the patrons rushed to the doorways to see what was happening. One of Ah Kung's brothers, asleep in an illegal casino, heard the singing and woke up with a start, believing himself to have dropped off during our Sunday morning service. Many people had seen Christians handing out bits of paper before, the addicts used to smoke them, but never before had they witnessed singing and dancing in the streets of the walled city. Passing by the opium dens, we came to the two largest heroin dens, where Ah Ming, who had assumed leadership of the procession, stopped and, quite unbidden, began to preach. Inside the den, a tall young Chinese named Ah Mo had just finished injecting himself. He had already discovered that Miss White, one of the nicknames for heroine, did not keep her promises. He had hardly gained a moment of enjoyment from her, for no sooner had he taken his fix then he had to think about obtaining money for his next appointment with the lying lady. Amo was wondering where to do his next robbery when he heard singing outside the heroin shed. Everything emerging from one gloom into the next, 
he was amazed to see his friend, Ah Ming, telling people in the street how Jesus had changed his life. It was obvious to Ah Mo that something very wonderful had indeed taken place, for barely three weeks previously, he and Ah Ming had been squatting side by side, taking heroin together in the very same den. Forgetting his projected robbery, he joined the end of the procession and followed it until it wound back to the club room some 30 minutes later. There, he came in and listened with wonder as the boys told him how Jesus could change him. But he shook, and, shook his head and asked to speak to me privately. I can't be a Christian, Miss Poon. I killed my wife. He told me the tragic tale of his rise to fame in the triad gang as a muscle man. He used to throw people out of nightclubs and bars in a more glamorous district of Kowloon. He had soon become powerful enough to employ his own bouncers and eventually controlled a little empire. He lived with a ballroom hostess but he had a great macho image of himself and enjoyed three other mistresses at the same time. When he was arrested, his hostess visited him in prison, taking him drugs and money. She really loved him. Although he promised to be faithful, he continued to visit the others after he was released. She was so miserable that she too began to take drugs and, near death, was rushed to the hospital to have her stomach pumped. To appease her, Amo rented a white wedding dress for her and a mourning dress for himself, and they had a mock wedding picture taken in a bridal studio. They sent the pictures to their rel relatives in China. But Amo did not give up his lechery, and so his girl overdosed a second time. The third time she overdosed, she could not be saved, and she died in the hospital. Amo was racked with guilt. He lost interest in his bouncing business and punished himself with drugs. As he stood before me, all bones and rags, it was hard to imagine that this man had inspired such a fatal passion. But when I told him that he could find forgiveness in Christ, his eyes grew hopeful, and I caught a glimpse of the handsome man he was. He prayed to receive Jesus and left the club in a daze. Some of his cronies were in the passage outside. Seeing his face, they laughed, he's got religion. He's got religion. But I didn't mind, Amo told me later, because my heart felt light. I had assumed that because Winston and Aming were cured miraculously of their addictions, anyone who believed in Jesus would automatically be delivered. Amo was not. He continued to take drugs, although I told him that this was not consistent with being a Christian. Now the difficulty here is immaturity on Jackie's part. If she had pressed this man to stop taking drugs because it was Jesus' will, he would have gone into very painful withdrawal and the Holy Spirit would have come and totally delivered him. She had to come up to faith on this issue, and it took some years before that took place. I think of the years of pain that some of you have endured because you have just thought it had to be that way. And so you have been destitute. You've gone through all kinds of attacks from the enemy. Why? 
because you won't come up to faith and call on the name of Jesus and believe now in total deliverance. You see, what is the use of this gospel of Jesus if there's no power in it? If there's no power in it, why are we doing it? No, there is power in the gospel of Jesus. But if you walk in immaturity and unbelief, then that power will not be working in your life. And you will endure every kind of brokenness and poverty saying, well, it was God's will. No, it wasn't God's will. So this man was not delivered from his heroine the way the others had been. And so she, she writes, I asked Pastor John to take him into a center, but he had to wait several weeks before there was a place. I was puzzled as to why God did not save him instantly as he had saved the others. But now we know, don't we, why God didn't save him instantly. Because he kept taking his drugs. You've got to stop taking the drugs. You've got to stop the sin. And then the delivering power of Jesus comes. It doesn't come until you stop your sin. Paul says, have you yet shed blood in the resistance of your sin? You have to be serious about getting free in Jesus or you will not get free. He doesn't hand it out like candy. He handles deliverance in proportion to our faith and our obedience to stand. He found a job. He wasn't robbing or stealing to pay for his heroin habit. When I discovered what that job was, I found myself unable to praise God for it at all. He was employed by one of the dens as what they called a weatherman. Each night from midnight until 8 a.m., he sat in the street of the illegal dentist guarding one of the entrances to the walled city. In his cigarette pack was concealed an electric plug. Should he spot a police raid party, or narcotics bureau spy, or an alien triad, his duty was to fix the plug into a socket built into the crude wall. This set off an alarm bell in the various vice and drug dens, so that by the time any intruder approached, businesses had stopped and they were ready to repel the invaders. For these labors, Ah Mo was paid 15 Hong Kong dollars a day enough for his heroin requirement, but not enough for rice. Each day I found Amo and took him a little food that I had learned by lesson by not giving money. He slept in an alley behind the Kowloon City Public Lavatory, paying his 15 Hong Kong dollars a month for the privilege to another street sleeper who was the self-appointed king of the street. Most days I sat and prayed with him, although he was usually half asleep when I left my offering in a plastic bag. Now I want you to see something. These lessons are, are wonderful, wonderful lessons of God. Because she did not 
stand for his instant deliverance. He had to go through waiting and waiting and waiting. Now, sometimes we call this waiting the desert. And there are valuable lessons that we can learn in the desert. But the desert is not where God has called the New Testament Christian. It is because of a lack of faith. It is not acting on the things that God has told us to do. It is listening to spirits of darkness that direct us another way. But what I want you to see that is such an incredible act of love and why in the end she is so very successful in ministry to these addicts is she goes each day and sits with him. You think she's not busy? She's right where she needs to be. She's sitting with Ming, waiting. I'm sorry, not Ming. it's Amo. She's sitting with Amo day after day, waiting. And then she's bringing him food. She's loving. She's caring. I was thankful that the drug den watching did not continue for long. I could not justify it morally, nor could I suggest an alternative. Almo eventually went to the center, came off drugs, and in one month gained 20 pounds in weight. Once more, the dragon had bit the dust. I continued to send messengers to Goko. Remember, Goko was the, the big brother, the powerful one. After Winston's miraculous cure, I wrote notes sending them with various messengers. I called in at gambling dens and left my name. I spoke to the lookout men outside Goko's favorite opium den. I talked to his wife. Eventually, he agreed to see me. At the accumulation of messages suggesting that I had something important to discuss with him, Winston was dispatched with an invitation, inviting me to a tea at the, at the ferry restaurant outside the city. It was a Chinese cafe selling Western food and usually out of my price range. As I made my way past the street letter uh, writers who were ponderously scribbling their massives, their missives, I wondered what Goko would be like. I knew that he was tall and big, had been a great football player before his deterioration through opium. I had heard how he lay all day in his own den while his younger brothers fed him with opium. This dependence was in sharp contrast with the power he wielded and the dread his name inspired. He had carefully brainwashed his followers. Heroin was forbidden, but opium was merely the continuation of an old social custom, no more harmful than drinking brandy after a meal. He was an older triad boss and prided himself on keeping the rules, such as being responsible for the funeral arrangements of a murdered gang member and assuming financial care for his dependents. Goko recognized me first, as I was the only Westerner to enter the restaurant. He was in his mid-thirties, respectfully dressed, sitting alone. He courteously gestured to me to sit down. Looking him fully in the face for the first time, I could see that the opium 
had drawn lines of dissipation on his strong features. He seemed to have shrunk within his large frame like an old man. He smiled at me and showed teeth rotted and stained with fumes from his opium pipe. While I was with him, he smoked cigarettes continuously, puffing and inhaling too, too frequently. Politely, the ruthless leader of corruption asked me what I would like to order. I drank coffee, he drank Horlicks, and we shared pineapple buns. We carried on conversation class pleasantries until I blurted, I wish you wouldn't be so polite, please. Let's stop pretending. You and I have nothing in common. Why are you being so kind to me? Goko paused. I believe you care about my brothers like I do. He was not using idle words. He was famous for the care he took of his followers. Yes, I do care about them, I agreed. But you and I can have no union. I hate everything you stand for, and I hate what you do. It was strange, but now, as in future meetings, the more bluntly I spoke, the more Goko responded. He dropped the polite frills and began to speak straight. Miss Poon, you and I both understand power. I use this way, he clenched his fist, and you use this way, he pointed to his heart. You have a power that I don't have. If my brothers get hooked on drugs, I have them beaten up. I don't want them on heroin, and I found I can't make them quit. But I've watched you, and I believe Jesus can. He paused to light a cigarette while I marveled at the significance of what he had said. So, he continued, I've decided to give the addicts to you. No, I replied quickly, you can't do that. I know what you want to do. You want Jesus to get them off drugs, and then you want them back to work to fight for you. But Christians can't serve two bosses. They have to follow either Christ or you. I believe you love your brothers, but you and I are walking different paths and can have no meeting point. I have no intention of helping your brothers off drugs only for you to take them back. They will certainly go back to heroin if they follow you. Goko stared down at the tablecloth, covered with crumbs from the pineapple buns. He looked up slowly. All right, then. I give up my right to those who want to follow Jesus. I could hardly take in what he had said. The triads never released their members. Once you became a triad, you remained a triad for life. Even the Hong Kong law courts accepted that triad membership was binding forever. To try to leave was to invite savage punishment or even death. There were stories of rebellious members who had their cheeks raked or were quietly stabbed one unsuspecting night. Yet here was Goko volunteering to hand over some of his brothers. Never before had I heard of such an offer. He interrupted my thoughts. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you all my rotten brothers, and I'll keep all the good ones for myself. Fine, I said. Jesus came for the rotten ones anyhow. So that was our strange pact, and from that time onward, Goko sent me addicts to cure. When he heard what happened to Johnny, he said, I'm watching. 
If he lasts five years, I will have to believe for myself. I have to stop in the midst of this story again and say, do you have power? If you had sat down opposite Goku and he clenched his fist and raised it up and said, I have this kind of power. What kind of power would he have seen in you? Would he have seen the power of Jesus in you? In another story that we'll get to, she helps save a young woman. And the men come after her. And they're all sitting there in the restaurant in the talk time. And they want to tear her apart. And she's terrified. She doesn't know what's going to happen. Later, they say, that woman has a power in her eyes. She's dangerous. Do you have power in your eyes? Are you dangerous to the kingdom of Satan? Are you recognized by Satan as a dangerous man or woman? Do you tear down strongholds in the name of Jesus? Do you bring deliverance to men and women from the fornication, from the pornography, from the drugs, from cheating and lying and stealing? Do you bring deliverance to men and women? Are you dangerous to the kingdom of Satan? If you're not, you've not yet been converted. You're a person from the church at Laodicea. You see, the cry of my heart is for the power of God to deliver you who are listening to this broadcast. We pray just before the broadcast every day. We pray, oh God, break out in revival today. Turn the hearts of your people from their slowness, from any hardness, from any disobedience. Turn their hearts to you, Jesus. That's what we want for you. We want you to be set free. We want you to know the true love of Jesus Christ to make a difference in the way you live, in your attitude, in the way you respond to conflict. How do you respond when someone comes with bitter accusations and spits them in your face? Do you rise up? Defend yourself with accusations back? How do you respond? Are you dangerous to the kingdom of darkness? Are you dangerous because of the power of the Holy Spirit that the enemy can see radiating from your eyes? Are you dangerous to Satan? Shall we go on with the story? Let's go on. Remember Winston? He came off drugs, was miraculously delivered by the Holy Spirit, had no withdrawal, 
It was all by the Spirit of God. He was the right-hand man of Goko. He was Goko's messenger. He was sent as a guard at the club room. Winston was in difficulties. He came to me full of excitement. Poon Sai, I have to praise the Lord, he said. I was in the opium den last night and someone invited me to have some free opium. I didn't want to, but I prayed and God gave me strength, so I did not take it. Instead, I knelt down and sang songs about Jesus for everyone to hear. I was furious with him. That's not praise the Lord, Winston. It's tempting him. It's not clever of you to ask for protection in a drug den. You shouldn't be there in the first place. Well, the problem was not easily resolved. I found out that Winston had no other place to sleep. At the time, he was converted and freed from his drug addiction. He was living in this opium den which was a favorite haunt of his 14K brothers. I told him to leave his gang and follow Jesus, but it was the same in practical terms as patting him on the head with a go, I wish you well, keep yourself warm and well fed, while doing nothing about his physical needs. Although they had become Christians, both Winston and Ah Ping were still involved with the triads by the very fact of living in the walled city. They faced a dilemma when a brother was attacked. Their instinct was to defend him, as they had been raised with an atmosphere which loyalty to a brother excused violence to the point of murder. It was very hard for them to turn away from those who had grown up with them and that they had cared for. I also felt that even if they themselves no longer took an active part in crime, their very presence gave tacit approval to triad affairs. Ah Ming likewise encountered difficulties. He said, Before I became a Christian, I was well known for my command. If I said go, my followers went. If I said stab, they would stab. I didn't have to think at all. I was without pity. He reminded me of the centurion Jesus had met. But now, Ah Ming continued, when they come to me with their grievances, I have to stop and think. I can't tell them to fight because I'm a Christian. For the first time in my life, I consider the feelings of the attacked victims. When my brothers see me hesitate, they lose respect for me, and this hurts me. Behind his fear of losing face, he was growing a conscience, a sensation utterly alien in the triad world. As I walked around the walled city, I kept on running into ex-addicts and triads who had expressed a serious desire to change. Clearly, they had to be removed from their evil environment. But like Winston, they had no other place to live. They could not survive the constant temptations with their meager spiritual knowledge. So I hunted for homes and Christian hostels, only to find that all of them were for the respectable Chinese. The tenants were required to have a job or to attend school, two pastoral references, a month's rent in advance, plus a deposit. Since none of the just-converted gangsters I had 
None of them that I knew had one of the qualifications. Therefore, they were effectively excluded. To every Westerner I know, I had at some time or another attempted to have one of my boys live in that person's house. Chinese families never had any extra room, having enough problems with housing their own relatives. Yet this was not satisfactory in Winston's case, and he needed more watching and discipline than an English family could give. Besides, most people found it a strain after a while having a gangster, albeit a converted one, living in the same brother's house. No, I face this same problem, Alexander. People have come to Jesus. They've left their life of sin. And then I have, I confess, expected them to come to prayer meeting and come to church and live a successful Christian life. And it wasn't enough. It didn't work. Soon they'd be caught and they'd slowly drift and they'd begin to pick up their old sins and then they were gone. And obviously it's because, oh, they're not strong enough and they weren't serious about Jesus. Yes, they were serious about Jesus. They were little saplings needing the protection needing to be nurtured and grown up every day, not once or twice a week. Well, Mary Taylor burst into tears when she first saw our flat. True, the walls were crumbling. There was a hole in the roof. We had only night soil buckets in lieu of a laboratory. There was no electricity. But in my opinion, it was a godsend. I really could not see why my old school friend was so upset because we'd prayed about getting a place into which I could shepherd my sheep. As far as I was concerned, this was it. How exciting it would be, Alexandra, if the church provided housing for the new converts where they could get out of their wicked environment where they could have daily worship and prayer, where they could witness and bring others. There has to be a whole different model of evangelism. The one in America today is not working. Preaching is not enough. Teaching is not enough. And frankly, we've been wondering about some of you. How do we reach out to you? I know the radio is not enough. And we've been wondering, do we announce a place and have everyone invited to come and and begin to talk about, okay, what kind of discipleship do you need? What kind of care do you need? Specifically, we're concerned about those of you who live, say, in the inner city or in a very low-income situation and you actually don't have the resources to come all the way out here. And so we've been talking and praying about this. Well, how do we go to them? How do we go to you? Mm-hmm. And then others of you have resources. And frankly, will you help us? Will you sacrificially, for an American that's hard to imagine, but some of you have, will you give? Will you help us be able to help others? 
It's not just, will you help us with the airtime? And we've asked every month and you've stepped forward and you've helped us with the airtime. This precious woman, Jackie, said, I don't have a budget so I can do anything. Well, we don't have a budget either. We don't have salary. We don't have a budget. We live by faith. And we trust God to move in the hearts of those of you who care about the gospel. We're not nearly using this radio broadcast in all the ways we'd like to, to reach out. But it's going to take resources to do that. Would you help us? We're going to stop reading at this point. We have just a couple minutes left in the broadcast. You can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that address is the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can donate, you can contact us, you can listen to this message again, as well as past messages all through the webpage. And we also invite you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for National Prayer Chapel. Thank you, and God bless you. Well, we're out of time for today. I pray you've been inspired and lifted and challenged. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.